There is nothing more frustrating than looking for something that you know exists, but you just can't find it. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you just immediately thought about TV remotes when I mentioned that? I mean, at our house, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna name any names. Um, and at our house, I'm always looking for the TV remote and it is never where it's supposed to be. And I've established two places for the TV remote to be able to be put. And, and it's just never in those two places. This morning, I walked out into the living room, was getting ready for church, and I just looked over. Actually, I sat down on the couch to put on my shoes, and I looked next to me, and there was the TV remote, like just about to slide into the crack, you know, in between the cushions and be lost and have to look for it for 30 minutes. We know. We know where it is, but we just, we just can't find it. It's, that's an incredibly frustrating feeling. Um, and and it's, one thing, it's one thing to know, you know, with, with something that you use regularly, it's always kind of lost in the same general area, right? The TV remote is configured living room, although who knows, you know, every once in a while it's in somebody's bedroom for who knows what reason. But you, you just know the, the general area. Then you have those things where, you know, you only have the occasional use items and you know you bought that thing and you probably have like three different versions of it. I, I just discovered where all my tools are and stuff that we have way more rolls of electrical tape than we will ever use. And I have no idea why, why that is, you know, just didn't know that it was there and didn't find it. I have an air compressor and one of the attachments, I have a blower attachment for it. And the other attachment is to fill up tires because we have to do that every once in a while. And I, I just, I needed it this past week and I couldn't find it anywhere. Still haven't been able to find it. I have, have no idea where that thing is. And yet I know it exists. I know it's somewhere. I know it's in the house. I'm not going to buy another one because I, I, I know it's there. And I have, I, I have a decision to make with, with things like that. Right? There, there's a crossroads that we come to. And there's, there's two paths that we can take. One is, is kind of the hopeful approach. And that is if I keep looking, if I keep at this, I know I'm going to find this because I know it's there. I just can't put my hands on it or my eyes on, it, on, on, the, on, on this thing. The other is a little bit more of a doubtful approach. And it's the one where... I'm about at with this attachment for the air compressor was I, you know what? I'm just not going to be able to find it. The more I look for it, I'm not, it's kind of like looking for, for a particular Lego piece in a bucket. You ever, some of you know what I'm talking about with that one, but I, I know, I know it's there, but I'm never going to find it. And so I'm just going to forget about it, let it go. And in a year or two, when I'm not looking for it, I'll probably stumble across it. So two, two, different, two different paths that we can take. One is, it's hopeful. I know I'm going to come across it if I keep at it. The other is a little bit more doubtful. It's probably not worth the effort. I'll just stumble across it maybe, hopefully, some other time in my life. And this contrast in attitudes and approaches extend to much more significant life experiences in things in which we experience loss, you know, than just TV remotes and air compressor attachments. There are times in life when much more significant losses challenge not just our mood in the moment, or just kind of create some sort of inconvenience, but it actually challenges our entire worldview and our outlook on our lives. When life isn't good, and when I say that, I don't mean the first world problems that we're willing to put on Facebook or on social media. Like that, that, those are all, those are first world problems. Those are minor inconveniences in, in my life. I'm talking about the serious stuff that we aren't even willing to put out and tell anybody about. The things that we hold close to our chest, the things that are deeply painful that create doubt and despair and suffering in our lives. I'm talking about those objectively not good moments in our life. Our sense in, of loss in those moments brings us to a crossroads in which we decide if we're going to be hopeful or we're going to be doubtful. 
And depending on how long we have to sit in that and wait on it, our sense of loss can overwhelm us to the point where we're wondering if what we've really lost along the way is God. And this morning, we're starting a brand new series called Hope in the Dark, and we're going to talk about this exact moment and this exact feeling and this exact thing that we go through. Because you, you may not be in this place in your life right now in this moment, but either you can remember a time in your life where you were there or at some point in the future you will be there. And I can guarantee you that somebody that you know and love in your life has experienced this or is going through this right now. And so we're going to talk about these moments in which we feel like, God, are, are you the thing that I've lost? Like, are you the thing that's missing? And what we do in those, in those moments. And the most important thing I think that we can realize right off the bat is that God does not ignore those moments in our life. In fact, if we read through scripture consistently, we're going to find time and time again that there are examples within the Bible of people who are just very direct and open about the things that they're going through. There's moments in their life where they are in the dark and they are searching desperately for God. Consider these lyrics from David in Psalm chapter 6. This, I'm going to read verses 2 and 3 and verses 6 and 7. David says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. It's not the typical songs here, song lyrics that we that we use, right? It's like, all right, like we're happy now, and Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. I am drench my couch with my weeping, is what David says. This moment in his life, when life hits, sometimes it maybe it's things we've been taught or impressions that we've given been given from other people. It, it can seem almost like we're not allowed to question God in those moments. It can almost seem like we're, we're not really supposed to think about life in those ways. But we can actually be real and raw and honest when it comes to our relationship with God and where we feel in those dark moments in our life. There are moments where, uh, you know, our life, uh, you know, we're frustrated, sometimes even devastated because of things that, that we have. And so as we go through the sermon series, we're going to be in Habakkuk. The, the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, and we're going to look at each chapter in succession over the next, next three weeks. This morning, hopefully you have your Bible with you today, either on your phone or physically. If you want to go ahead and turn to Habakkuk chapter 1, that would be amazing. It is in the Old Testament. It's in the minor prophet section, so kind of in the, in the middle to, to, to second half. And so if you need to look at your table of contents, there's no, no perfect people allowed, and that's fine. Habakkuk's not one of those ones where like, oh, yes. This week, my devotion time will be in Habakkuk. So I, I totally understand that. So go ahead and look for uh, Habakkuk. And just to let you know that this is a series that's kind of inspired by a book written by Craig Rochelle. It's, the name of it is Hope in the Dark. And so if you want some supplemental reading or just a, maybe an opportunity to take to read through that, maybe to help somebody else in your life, that would, that would be uh, amazing. It is difficult sometimes to believe that God is good when life is not. And so as we open up Habakkuk and we look at what's going on in, in his life, Habakkuk is kind of a unique prophet because when we think about prophets, a prophet is giving a message from God to, to the people. But Habakkuk doesn't start off that way. Habakkuk starts off with him giving a message to God. 
little bit of a role reversal there in what's going on. Uh, Habakkuk was down in the southern kingdom of Judah, and, and Judah was, was doing great at one point, but they weren't anymore. In, in fact, things had just gotten right, downright horrible. Nobody was living the way that God had called them to. They were violent. There was injustice everywhere. Habakkuk's looking around, and he's looking at God, and he says, where are you? And so even, you know, 2,600 years removed that we are, are now, even, even way back then, there were human beings or people looking to God and saying, where, where are you in this moment? Thing, things are terrible. Life is not good. It's, it's dark all around us, and we're stumbling, and we're stubbing our toes and knocking our knees and all kinds of things. God, where are you in this moment? And before we jump into chapter 1, as we acknowledge that this question has been asked throughout centuries, I, I just want to acknowledge something that I hope will be helpful for our perspectives when we're looking at looking and seeking for hope in the dark. And, and it's this. This is, this is going to blow your mind, I'm sure. Life doesn't work like a sitcom. I don't, maybe everybody already knew this. I, I don't know if you, has anybody ever told you that before? I don't, nobody's ever come up to me and told me that before. So may, I don't know, maybe this is, I'm thinking this is more significant than, than it really is. But it just, it doesn't work, it doesn't work like a sitcom. We love sitcoms because you can sit down about 30 minutes or less, you know, it depends on how many commercials there are. You know, you, you have these lovable, you know, cast of characters that have, have this, you know, tension, some sort of drama inserted into the relationship, either, either internally or externally. And over the course of the episode, you know, all these whimsical things happen and, and you deal with the thing. And at the end of the episode, what happens? Everything resolves, right? Well, unless they do a part two, you know, maybe it's the end of a season special or something like that. But everything comes to a great resolution. And we kind of like chuckle about it. We're all sitting around on the couch as a family or friends, and we're laughing about, about this thing that happens. Um, that, is, that is not how life, how life works. Sometimes the attention extends well beyond 30 minutes. And it's drawn out by unlovable people in our lives sometimes or incredibly complex events. And the reason we can feel so stuck within those unresolved tensions, feel like we're stuck in the dark, is that we don't always have the control or wisdom or willingness to accomplish the right solution. So with that in mind, let's jump into Habakkuk chapter 1, the first couple verses, and here's how we begin. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, and here's how he starts off. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? or cry to you violence, and you will not save. This oracle, the, re the reason it's called that is it's this burdensome message that as Habakkuk is looking around and he's seeing the condition of the people of God and what's happening in their lives and what they're doing with their lives, he's saying, God, that, when are you going to do something about this? And perhaps you've had moments like that in your life where you can look around at the world around us and, and you've, you've had those moments. God, when, when are you going to, can you see what's going on? Can you see what's happening in my life? Where, when are you going to, when are you going to deal with it? Habakkuk says, I have concerns. God, we've been praying, but it feels like the prayers aren't going any further than from the front of my mouth. God, why? Why aren't you making a difference in this world? Why won't you make a difference in my world? Why won't you heal me? heal this loved person in my life. God, why the suffering? Why the death? Why the pain? 
And the more opportunity we're given to ask those questions in our life, when the hits keep coming, the more opportunity we have to question God's attention to the matters that matter to us. And this is where Habakkuk is in his life. And perhaps the solution is found in the approach and even in the meaning of the name of the man who is approaching God in this real, raw, and direct way. Because I don't think all of us recognize, and, and I don't think all of us have been given permission, maybe growing up in the church, or in our thought of who God is, that, that, that we, can actually, we can actually approach God in this way. Habakkuk, the name Habakkuk means to embrace. There are a couple of ways that we can embrace, though. One, one is the really loving, like, come, coming up and, and just, you know, just the, the hug. And we all, we all like hugs. Except not everybody likes hugs. And that's, that's fine. Again, no perfect people out. But just, just the, the person you want to hug you, right? Okay, maybe that's the distinct difference. But just, just, you just think about that, and you think about just arms around you and just, just being held closely and tightly. And so you think about that kind of embrace. That's one kind of embrace. The other... The other kind of embrace, um, I, I think about that one, that's, that's the wrestling embrace, where it's a lot, you know, you may maybe start off with a hug, but then you like start squeezing and you start wrestling, you, you know, wrestling the, the, the person down. Like that's, that's the other thing, which is fun, fun to do with the kids, right? We, we, we like to do that. Uh, you guys are getting kind of old for that too, though. I, maybe I'll toss you around a little bit this afternoon. Um, you know, but that's the, that's the other kind of embracing that we do. We either, we either embrace the affectionate hug, the other is the tension-filled grapple. And as a prophet, Habakkuk is doing everything he can do to embrace who he knows God is. But with what he's seeing and experiencing and observing, he's also wrestling with God. And when life is going great, we've got the, you know, top of the world, mountaintop experiences, our desires are being met. When life is good, it's easy to affectionately embrace God. But life is not a sitcom, and sometimes there are things in our life that need to be resolved, and it's not in 30 minutes or less, and it's not in 30 days or less, or sometimes it's not even 30 years or less. Sometimes in life, you think the relationship, you know, that seems to have gone sideways in your life, it's never going to be repaired. Or the job you lost, you know, you just can't, can't get your career back on track. You never think that there's going to be something that comes along and fulfills you the way that that did. Or, or maybe the, the, the sickness, the disease comes back, the cancer comes back, even though, you know, you're so desperate to be healed the first time. You've, trade, you, you've prayed, you've tried to be good, but life still isn't going the way that you want. And so we wrestle with God. Habakkuk 1, verses 3 through 4, Habakkuk continues. He says, why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surrounded the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. And so you look through, and you, you hear the questions that Habakkuk is asking without coming, well, he's coming out right out and saying it, but, it, but he says, man, you, you don't really seem to care in this moment, so what are you going to do about it? You aren't really doing much when you could, and what you are doing it certainly doesn't seem fair in this moment. I mean, it's not accomplishing what I think would be consistent with who you say you are. And maybe, maybe you've had moments where you've been through this, and you're thinking, man, if I was God... I would do things completely different. Now, most of the time we say that we're in a pretty selfish place. I mean, if I was God, I know exactly who would have gotten the winning Powerball ticket last night. I know you guys been been paying attention to that. I mean, we bought two tickets, I mean, for fun. Is that okay for me to say? Can a pastor say that? Uh, yeah. 
Okay. We can talk about it later if you want to deal with the theological uh, expenditures of entertainment in our lives. Um, usually that takes us to pretty selfish places, but at least, you know, I'm sure we would stop all the injustice around us, right? I mean, that's how, that's how we, you know, oh, if I win the lottery, man, think of all the good I could do because I would give it all away. I wouldn't waste it like most people do. But Habakkuk is wondering, are, are you even paying attention? Because none of this kind of stuff is stuff that you would want to happen. And some, some of you have wondered, you know, is it, is it actually okay to articulate these thoughts out loud to God in my life? Like, is it okay to question God? It's very possible that a well-meaning Christian has come to you in the middle of the dark moments of your, of your life and heard your questions for God and said a bunch of well-meaning but less than helpful things. Even, even dumb things, you know, like, trust God. Okay. Thanks for that very practical application of thousands of years of human suffering and how to approach it. Or how about this one? This is, this is a favorite. Let go and let God. I'm not even sure what that means, to, to be honest. Let, let go of what and let God what? Or, or how about this one? God won't give you more than you can handle. On just a very anecdotal level, you know, has, has anybody experienced that to actually be true? I mean, I, I know there are plenty of things that I've come up against in my life that I know I cannot handle. The, the reason we come through, come up against bad theological statements like that is just people just aren't in God's word enough to, to know what scripture actually says. So that, like, for, for example, that, that la- God won't give you any more than you can handle, um, that comes from a, kind of a misrepresentation of um, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where Paul says that God won't let us be tempted beyond what we can bear, which is absolutely true. He provides a way for us to come up out, out of that. But absolutely, there are moments in life that we can't handle on our own. That's why God sends Jesus. That's why God calls us into communal relationships with one another as we live out our lives and as we struggle and as we wrestle with, with these things. Um, just so you know, it is, it is okay to question God. In fact, in Scripture, people do that on a, on a regular basis when they come to these deep, doubtful, despairing, suffering, painful moments in their life. It's okay to question God. He can handle it. Not, not only is it, is it not going to offend his sensibilities, but, but he can also, he can handle it. He can take, he can take care of it. About a third of the Psalms are cries to God in the middle of pain. A lot of questions in the Psalms, as David and others are pouring out their hearts in songs. Several books of the Bible, Lamentations, Job, Jeremiah, Ecclesiastes, pain, questions, hurt. You know, Jesus, even on the cross, is perfect in every way. He bears our sin, he bears our shame, he takes the punishment we deserve. And, and things get dark with Jesus on the cross. And even Jesus looks to God and says, why? Why have you forsaken me in this moment? Right? So it, it's, okay, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to wrestle with those things as we're struggling to embrace God. There are going to be moments where we're on the mountaintop, we have, mountaintop, we have the strong moments of, of belief, but there's also going to be moments where we have crisis of belief. We're going to have peace and hope. On the one hand, there's other moments where we're going to have a dark night of the soul. There's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be mountaintops, and there are going to be valleys. 
And that's okay. That's, that's how life works in a world that's broken by sin. And those where are you God moments, we can either ignore it, kind of moving on, we can let go and let God and keep pushing through and ignoring the pain. We can deny it all. We can just walk away from our faith and put it aside. Or we can wrestle and embrace. What we're concerned about is, hey, is life going to get better? Uh, Will there be something meaningful and purposeful that comes out of this darkness? And God says there is. In James chapter 1, James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The way to true intimacy with God is not remaining on the mountaintop and faking you know, things that, that we don't actually feel and experience, but experiencing him in the valley, that's where we do the hard work of tilling the soil for growth. It's, it's, on the val- it's in the valley. And so when we find ourselves in a crisis of belief, we wrestle. We ask questions. We cry out to God. We allow ourselves to be honest with ourselves and with God. Sometimes it's going to take the downward hill of our faith to kind of give us the momentum to move back upwards. It's not always pretty, and it's not always pray for, but God always has something for us on the other side. In Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5, God gives his response to Habakkuk. He says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And Habakkuk's like, yes, finally. Here's the resolution. Here's the conclusion to the matter, right? Here's the end of the sitcom. It's coming. Like, great, God, this is going to be amazing. Here's what God says next. For behold, I am raising up the Babylonians. If you don't know much about the Babylonians, God's going to give you a description of what they're like. That bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth, the sea's dwellings not their own. It, imagine, just, just think about how Habakkuk's feeling, like listening to God describe, describe the Babylonians. Verse 7, they are dreaded and fearsome. Yay. Their, maybe their justice will be okay. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. So that means they don't have any. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. All right. Thanks for that. Habakkuk's thinking. He said, you think it's bad now? Just wait. Sometimes God works in ways that we do not expect. Keep, keep in mind, in, in the context that Habakkuk is dealing with, the nation of Judah has turned their back away from God. And sometimes, sometimes there's these cycles in life that, that take place where we don't understand how God is working, and yet the, the culmination of those things, the pattern that we see repeated with God's people throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament, is that we have these moments where sometimes we turn our back on God or, or, or we haven't learned something about his character and nature. And he operates in such a way that it teaches us exactly what we need to know and understand so that we might be redirected back, back to him. Sometimes we can wrestle with honest questions, but as we do that, we, we can also embrace a legitimate faith and trust that God is God. I don't get it. I don't necessarily understand it in this moment. But if I keep moving forward, if I keep embracing, if I keep wrestling, 
he'll, he'll take care of it. He can handle it. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12 and verse 13 are kind of examples of Habakkuk embracing and wrestling with, with God in this moment. He's still hanging on. He says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. He's embracing God. Verse 13, you who are of pure eyes than, than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Wrestling. He's embracing and wrestling back and forth. Because he understands ultimately in faith that God is God and then he knows infinitely more about what he's doing and why he's doing it. He's proved himself time and time again. But he also understands that it just doesn't make sense to him and religious platitudes are not going to be the thing that helps him in those moments. He needs to be able to question it and deal with his doubt head on. And God would always rather you question him than to wonder about life without him or to wander away from him. Let me, let me read this quote from the book, Hope in the Dark. What if honestly acknowledging your doubts is your first step toward building a deeper faith in these moments, in these hope of the dark? Maybe, maybe there are better questions that we can ask. What if embracing your secret questions opens the door for a maturing knowledge of God's character? What if drawing closer to God, developing genuine intimacy with him requires you to bear something that feels unbearable? To hear him through an ominous utterance, to trust him in the moment of doom, to embrace his strength when you're weak with a burden. What if, what if it takes real pain to experience deep and abiding hope? Because in the end, no matter how dark things might seem in your life, you're, you're still here. And, and God is still sustaining your life. And he is still pursuing all that is good for you and continues to desire that in you. And you still matter, even in your darkest moments, even in my darkest moments. Let me just talk about me. God has always provided hope in ways that I've never expected. Sometimes even ways that I would have never picked for myself. And yet when I've stuck with him, when we stick with him, whether embracing or wrestling, just not letting go, he brings us to a place in which we recognize we are closer to him than we've ever been before. And so when it seems like God is missing your life, let me just give you two things to do. The first is speak honestly. It's really interesting, and this is, this is whether you are praying to God in your heart, in your, in your mind, this is whether or not you're writing it down. I encourage you to write it out. Write those thoughts out so you can see them on paper and understand what they, what they represent and what you're actually saying. I find that when I actually start speaking honestly about my situation or what's going on, there's a lot, there's a lot that I learn about where I am in that moment and what I'm thinking and, and the implications of that for how I'm experiencing that thing. Because sometimes when I speak honestly, I recognize that there, there are things I've been missing. I've been emoting about those things. I've been feeling those things. When I actually start talking about those things and, and, and writing those out and thinking through them critically, there, there are things that I learn about, God, it, you know, what... What, what, what has happened? I just don't understand this. Why are you doing it this way? This is never how I, I would operate this way. And yet, and yet, as I think about those things and I look through those things, I'm a better person for it. And those are, those are things I would never choose for myself. And yet, when I speak honestly and I think through those things, 
I mean, I see, I see things in a totally different light. The second thing I want to say is just listen, listen carefully. This is, this is really, I mean, we're just talking about basic communion with God, relationship with God. We talk about, you know, prayer, praying relationship with God. This is what it looks like, speaking honestly and listening carefully. Sometimes, um, sometimes we create situation and moments in our life where it's just hard for God to get a, a word in edgewise. We're so, so busy looking for the next, you know, uh, affirmation from a friend or what, what they have to say or, or, you know, watching a YouTube video or wh- whatever it is. I mean, we're just kind of sitting thing. We're continually Googling this, this thing and how we're feeling. And we get so, so into that. We just don't create any space to hear what God has to say in those moments. And so t- take some time to, to speak honestly Write it down if you want, and then spend some time, an equal amount of time, listening carefully to what God has to say. And, and I want to encourage you, maybe, maybe the most helpful thing that you do is, because we're not meant to do these things alone. You know, one of our rules at Velocity is no one stands alone. Is I want to encourage you to, maybe it's somebody sitting next to you, uh, a brother and sister, brother or sister in Christ, and, and just, like, speak honestly with them. And, and have somebody listening carefully alongside of you. Somebody with godly character and godly wisdom, not somebody who's just going to affirm, oh, yeah, I, you know, you didn't do anything wrong. You're just amazing. You know, I, but somebody who's just going to honestly sit there with you and be with you in those moments. Don't, don't push them down in your life, but, but let's, let's deal with them head on. Let's embrace and let's wrestle. When we do, it's going to bring us to moments like this. You remember Psalm chapter 6, and we read those few verses, and it was just, you know, my, my couch is soaked with my weeping. Here's how it ends. Psalm chapter 6, verses 8, 9, and 10. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and gratefully troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Even when we're in those dark moments, there's still hope. And God is going to be there, and he has always continually been there with us. It's just going to seem like a moment. Don't walk away. Wrestle and embrace. Wrestle with what you see. Embrace who you know he is. Wrestle with what you experience. Embrace what he has experienced for us on our behalf. Wrestle with the silence and embrace the God who promises to always be there with us. Let's pray. God, whether, um, whether we are in the dark right now or somebody else that we know uh, that, it, that is, yeah, we, know, we know that these moments exist in life. God, help us, to, uh, help us to see past just the moment that we're in. Help us to, to see the pattern that you have participated in since the dawn of time throughout humanity. Things are bad, whether it's because of us or someone else or just because we live in a world broken by sin, and yet you always produce something good. God, help us to hang on in those moments. Help us to embrace who you claim to be, who you continually show yourself to us that you are. And God, help us to to wrestle honestly with what's happening in our lives, to come to you to ask our questions, and to look with hope. God, we thank you for always honoring that in our life. We praise you for it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.